The S&P 500 index is now up 7% for the year. If you're waking up for the first time this morning or this year, you might say, what recession? Here's what matters. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team, what we think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's Income Builder Fund, as well as individual solutions for our partners. Yes, and by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of August 31st, 2020, and we've now had six all-time highs since the pandemic began. Oh my gosh, this market is crazy. The S&P 500 index is now up about 9% higher for this year and over 20% since uh, this time last August, which you know is pretty normal um, on a relatively occurring basis until you think about what's happened in between. Exactly. We had a pandemic where the combination of the 500 biggest companies in the U.S. lost a third of their value. And after more than 55% rally from the March lows, we're back at new highs. Yes. And naturally, we have received a ton of questions from you, our listeners. Like, how have the markets recovered so fast? Yeah, exactly. So we thought we would address that question. Yeah, think about it as an FAQ, a Frequently Asked Questions podcast episode. Exactly. So shall we begin? Let's do it. All right. Well, first up, despite all the pockets of rebounding data, the economic situation still seems pretty dire. People are filing for unemployment by the millions, and a lot of companies are shutting their doors. So the first common question that we're receiving is, why has the stock market recovered so quickly? And I think this one's definitely for you, LG. All right. Well, there's two big things here uh, that I'd mentioned. The first is the concept that markets are forward-looking, and the second that policy has played a big role. So thinking first about that first one, markets being forward-looking, economic data tend to review backward-looking activity. So the indicators that we get throughout August are usually for July or maybe even earlier. Stocks, on the other hand, should reflect future expectations. Whether those expectations are balanced or right or wrong is a different question entirely. But yeah, the economy is still a long way from regaining its pre-pandemic level of output and profit, but current market pricing reflects investor expectations for an uninterrupted economic recovery and a rebound in corporate profits, thinking again to the end of next year. Yeah, exactly. Investor expectations are what drives equity markets. That's really important. I think it's also important to note here when it comes to pricing that not every company in the S&P 500 index has recovered evenly or in stock markets. In fact, about a third of the S&P 500 remains in a bear market. So that means down more than 20%. We've talked before about the concentration in the index among a few high-flying names. Um, This is related and you should turn turn back to an old podcast for information here, but there's been a significant 
rebalancing here. Yeah. And that's exactly my qualm with the forward looking markets idea. Markets are pricing in future expectations, but with a strong bent on how everything feels today. And you can see that split in the companies uh, for which investors have stronger expectations. And again, those expectations can be disappointed and that does happen from time to time. Yeah. yeah good point. Okay. You had a, you had a second thing though, which was policy. What, what matters here? Right. So number two, policy. And here I'm much more convinced, um, or in terms of this pillar of argument, is is pretty strong. Spending from Congress has so far filled the loss of income created by the historic spike in unemployment. And that doesn't mean it's filled that loss in income from, for every family. Um, far from it. But on an economy-wide level, um, that policy has been pretty effective. So for the first time in history, national income went up during a recession rather than down. And consumer spending has been incredibly resilient even as consumer confidence hasn't been as resilient. So at the same time, the Fed has been implementing unprecedented monetary policy stimulus, which has ensured the stability of the financial system and has encouraged investors to take more risk or to search out more reward. Yeah, that's really well said. Um, And this is a ton of fun. So let's tackle the next question. Uh, that we receive all the time, which is after this historic run-up, investors are commonly asking, what's next for the markets? Oh, perfect. Let me dust off my crystal ball. <laughs> Wait, you have one of them? <laughs> all right, all right. So, here, so the, I, I get the nature of the question, though. You know, it, We can't predict what's going to happen. But I, I get where investors are coming from. With risk assets on a tear, clients have this big fear of missing out. And advisors and investors have a fear of meaningfully underperforming whatever their benchmark is. So uh, this is all palpable. And financial professionals want to know what can come next? Well, there's always risk to investing. And the fact that right now we have high valuations and a lot of uncertainty about what will come in the next six to 12 months with the election and geopolitical risks and the economy and the virus, it makes the environment right now feel particularly worrisome. There's plenty of things um, for investors to be worried about. And so that can make the environment feel precarious. Mm. Yeah. Um, the market's anticipation of an economic or corporate profit rebound is appropriate, but has it gone too far in your opinion? Um, maybe sentiment looks a little euphoric and valuations are very high. So it's safe to say that we could see a pullback, but it's important to remember that pullbacks are normal, even in bull markets or recoveries. So we looked at 15 bull market recoveries recently. And while the average return in year one was 47%, which is a lot of return, it's not totally smooth sailing. The market averages two 5% pullbacks and one 10% pullback in that average um, bull market recovery. Yes, yes. So that means that um, investors should expect volatility and that if there are pullbacks, it doesn't necessarily mean the end to a bull market. Exactly. Okay. Last one. Uh, you want to you wanna read this one out? Yes. So this is my favorite question. Um, I hope you have a good answer ready. Uh-huh. How can an investor put new money to work in this environment? Oh, all right. A pseudo portfolio pause for us here without actually doing the portfolio pause. So uh, let's do it. The decision to invest today is really dependent on market conditions. Um, so it's a good question, but it's also uh, certainly dependent on an investor's goals and investment circumstances. So it's a little tricky to answer. We would have to know more information and tends to vary case by case. But um, for example, a client with a long 
investment horizon will likely have a higher risk tolerance and would allocate different to different assets or allocate differently than a client with a shorter time horizon or, or less risk tolerance, all else equal. Okay, that makes sense. But a lot of um, conversations with financial advisors, planners, investors, just financial professionals generally tend to land in this question on dollar cost averaging. Oh, dollar cost averaging is a great one. And I love um, getting the the skinny on your conversations with financial um, planners. What, what, what do you all talk about with DCA? Well, dollar cost averaging is just one way to build wealth and spread out risk during an investor's accumulation phase. So when you should be adding um, money into your portfolio, whether it's out of your paycheck or, or whatever program that you have there, um, by taking a portion of your income and putting it to work at a regular basis, an investor can avoid the temptation of trying to time the market, which is just really difficult. Uh, timing always gets it. But what about someone who has a large lump sum that needs to be invested? Right. Well, this is why what you were saying about investor circumstance matters so much. For large allocations with no new significant cash flows on the horizon, a careful investment strategy may be more prudent than averaging into the market. So thinking about your total risk reward uh, profile as a whole, it makes sense there. So in these cases, relying exclusively on dollar cost averaging to enter an investment strategy can actually generate a large cash drag on overall returns. And so um, that makes DCA in that specific circumstance more like market timing, which is again, what we're trying to avoid here. Mm, that's a really good point. Uh, totally related is um, investors off, they see the new market highs, which we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. But so as a total side note, for those investors who are a bit apprehensive about putting new money to work at these all-time highs, we have seen some solid evidence um, you know, on the research channels that we use and, and some of the, the research we follow that putting money to work at new all-time highs is a, a pretty decent strategy. And I don't think that the takeaway here is that it's a system someone wants to implement that, you know, oh, you hit a new all-time high, uh, you need to put money to work, but rather just an acknowledgement that all-time highs are nothing really to be afraid of if you are an investor. Oh, I love that. That's really, really helpful. And given our near-term market concerns, I think there's maybe three ways an investors can enter the market anew if we're just summarizing what um, what we've talked about here. So first, invest with a lower risk allocation um, than current strategic asset profile. So make that more bonds or lower volatility investment strategies focused on income, just as an example. The second thing they can do is enter the strategy with a portion of the lump sum and hold some cash-like assets for tactical opportunities as they arise. So if you do get a pullback or if you're working with a financial professional to um, move a little bit at a, at a different time, that, that could work. Um, or a third idea would be to invest with an active manager who can make those small tactical bets uh, based on their perception of the market. Coming up this week... Does anyone watch anything during the last week of summer? <laughs> well, we keep thinking that these weeks of August will be slow, but uh, think that at your own peril, there's still a lot going on. I think though, just to keep it simple, one indicator we know will be important this week before we get into September and, and more stuff picks up is that new unemployment claims on Thursday. Um, that's been about a million claims all summer. And so uh, we it helps kind of keep a reality check on rebounding economic data and keep our sites uh, firm on what's really going on in the economy. Well, that's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. Yes. Let us know what matters to you. 
If you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on social media. Yes, and you can be the inspiration of an episode like today. Uh, our, our listeners came into us uh, with questions on LinkedIn. Uh, and these listeners also follow our views at nylinvestments.com forward slash blog. But until then, I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to talking to you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamontz, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about Mainstay Funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is a service mark and name under which New York Life Investment Management LLC does business. New York Life Investments is an indirect subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company, New York, New York 10010, and provides investment advisory services and products. New York Life Distributors LLC is located at 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302. New York Life Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.